Bedrosian throws to Sandberg, and the pitch is grounded to second base. Thompson has it, throws to first. It's over. 27 years of waiting have come to an end. The Giants have won the pennant. Welcome back to the Thompson to Clark podcast. We are recording on Tuesday evening, October 27th, which means game six of the World Series between the Tampa Bay Rays and those wretched, wretched Dodgers <laughs> is on in the background. So, you know, Brad and I won't be able to to really have much to, to preview about these last, either the last game or the last two games of the World Series. But the next time we record, we'll, we'll be able to, to wrap up the whole thing. But I do want to ask you, Brad, before we get into the Giants stuff, what, how do you feel about the first five games? And it, it, to me, it feels like the Dodgers are clearly the best team, but I also see these sort of breaks falling in certain ways that make me wonder that if the Rays can push to a game seven, they actually have a chance to win this thing. Well, you know, and as a Giants fan, you know that in order to win a world championship, you need breaks, you need breaks to happen. I just... I don't know. I don't think Tampa Bay can muster up enough breaks. I mean, they've got the ace on the mound tonight. They've got Blake Snell on the mound for them uh, against Gons- Gonsolin. And and that won't last. I mean, Gonsolin will probably, what, two innings maybe if he yeah. even gets that far. Uh, then they'll go right to the bullpen. Snell, I mean, he could go five, six innings. But if they bust out to a big lead, Tampa Bay does, you know, you may not see much of Snell because they're going to want to kind of hang on to him, um, you know, possibly. Well, yeah, I don't think he could go with game seven because game seven would be tomorrow night. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is Blake Snell. Ride him as long as he can. Um, yeah, I think I think that's what I would do, too, is you just go as as far as you can with him, set up all the matchups that you want. And, and you know, because this is, this is the must-win game. So for oh, them... Yeah. They, uh, yeah, and you know, just as, as right before we started recording, I have the game going on in the background. Uh, so I'm not really paying attention to it, but I saw uh, Randy Rosarina Bonds was up, and I was like, oh, I wonder what's going on here. And I just, I literally just looked to the TV for a half a second, and he goes deep into the right field seat. So as of this recording, the Rays are up 1 0, and Gonsolin's uh, struggling a little bit. But Well, yeah, they got um, two runners on after that. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, we may not even see Gonsolin more than this inning. So, what did you think of? And I know you were smiling ear to ear like I was, <laughs> but Dodgers were trying to take a three to one lead. They have Jensen on the mound. I don't even remember the the hitter's name, but he he's like an under two hundred hitter that they picked up from the Royals earlier in the season, and that cutter comes right in on his hands, broken bat single into right field, right fielder kind of overruns it a little bit, throws to the plate. Rosarina's rounding third. He's a dead duck. <laughs> he slips and falls, gets up, and the Dodgers catcher Will Smith. I assume he thinks it's going to be a bang bang play. So first baseman cuts it off, throws to Smith, and Smith like swipe tags, and there's like nobody running. <laughs> he doesn't even catch the ball. Rosarina scores, and uh, they tied that series two to two. But just classic. Like I'm watching that game, and it's like the Giants are playing. I was so excited. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I I had just turned on the game about an inning before, um, and and then watched the Dodgers take the lead, and I thought, oh man, well there it goes. They're gonna you know 
they're they're on to a three one lead. They're going to win the World Series. This is pretty much it. Um, and then everything that unfolded. We so around the you know Halloween time and stuff. You know when you got kids, you got you've got to do all the fun Halloween stuff. And I love it too. I mean it's just an absolute blast. So we had bought the uh, you know the game of life. Um, we have the Simpsons version, love it. And so we bought the Disneyland Haunted Mansion version of it. And so we had busted it out that night and we were playing and I had the game on so I could see it and everything. Um, and then all of a sudden I turn, because it's my turn, I turn my head, I start doing something, I look back and there's a Rosarena hung up between third and home. And I go, what the hell just happened? I, I, what did I just miss? And he falls down, and then I see the missed swipe tag, the ball go flying away, and then he scores. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, my God. So I had to pause everything. I told the kids, oh, but pause the game, uh, you know, pause the game we're playing. Uh, ran up to the TV, cranked up the volume, rewound it back and watched the whole thing, and, and just in complete disbelief of what had happened. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think it was Jason Stark who, who broke it down, uh, really well on the athletic, um, talking about the hitter, uh, Brett Phillips and his crazy antics and, and everything that happened. Um, and, and kind of went through the history of major league baseball and how it was completely, uh, unbelievable for this type of player to get that hit. I mean, they broke it down. It was like, there are three players, um, with a, uh, team trailing in the ninth and then with two outs to get the game winning hit. There are three players, Kurt Gibson, 1988 game one, cookie lava Jetto, You remember him, right? <laughs> 1947 <laughs> game four for the Dodgers. And then Brett Phillips, Game Four, twenty twenty, and and to lay it all out, it is two thousand twenty. So you expect weird stuff. I don't expect tonight to go normal. I expect the the Tampa Bay Rays to win it in some bizarre fashion, and then I, I don't expect Game Seven tomorrow night to go normal either because it is. 2020. So something weird is going to, the game's going to get played under protest. I mean, something bizarre is going to happen and you, and you know, it's coming. Yeah, no, this is, uh, you know, I, I, I won't lie and say that I've watched a whole ton of the world series, but you know, basically what I do is I have the game going on in the office and as we're kind of doing dinner and we're getting kids down and, you know, doing dishes and all that stuff, I'll, I'll kind of run in and peek in and to see how things are going and then I'll just check my phone because, you know, with all the different apps, they'll they'll update you. Oh, you know, it's the eighth inning and the game's close. And then I'll kind of come run in and check in. But, um, you know, th this is this happened in the NBA, which is you have this pandemic title. I, I call the NBA title the bubble title. <laughs> right. And the Lakers, the Los An Angeles Lakers, who are my most hated basketball team, being a Warriors fan, they win this fake bubble title. And it would be sort of poetic if the one Dodgers world championship since 1988 is in another sort of fake season of 60 games plus playoffs. So, you know, th this is this is just me sort of taking the sting just in case <laughs> the, the Dodgers win. Right. But if they do win, this is, you know, this is maybe the most meaningless uh, championship in baseball history. <laughs> right. Discount the whole thing. I mean, the whole season's garbage. I told a friend um, uh, from work, she's a big Dodger fan. Her husband's a big Giants fan. And uh, she said, you know, my husband is, is uh, 
I keep ta- she said I keep talking about you know this is going to be the world championship and he keeps discounting the whole thing. I told her I said you know what I said coming from another Giants fan here's what's happening. Major League Baseball has decided to play this season. The players have decided to play this season. They're calling it the World Series and they're giving the World Series trophy to the winner when it's over. So I said you know what at that point you just have to say it is technically the World Series. So if you win it, you win the World Series. But us Giants fans, we will always know, yeah, you won it. And you also won it in 81 when it was a strike-shortened <laughs> season. That's, that's right. <laughs> so you put those two seasons together, and you've got one championship out of that. How about that? Right. We take, yeah, we I think, take I think those that two, works. yeah, half it, and we'll a half, and pass. you get a whole. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, that works for me. All right, but still, rooting for the Rays to win here. Mm-hmm. Come back, of course. Down, down three two. Let's uh, let's win the whole thing. We've got to have a game seven, man. We've got to have a game seven. All right. So uh, before we get to the next bit of information, what is it that you are drinking this evening? Well, uh, tonight is today is uh, my uh, and my wife's uh, nineteen year wedding anniversary. So. I'm drinking light because I I'm assuming she's gonna bust out like a really good bottle of red tonight. There you go. Um, so and of course the older daughter has dance tonight, so uh, one of us has to take her, and the other one's got to go back and pick her up at like eight o'clock. <laughs> so so I'm having a light beer because I'm not sure if I'm on driving duty or not yet. Um, but then when I get back, I'm gonna have a, a red, I'm sure. But I'm having uh, what's called good behavior. It's a crushable IPA, is what it's called. Um, it is only four percent. Odell Brewing Company out of Colorado, uh, Fort Collins. I don't know if you've ever had any of their stuff, but um, they make some really, really awesome IPAs. They also make a really good um, winter ale. Can't remember the name of it at this moment, but this is a good beach drinker. Um, Today, our high here in Reno was 61 degrees. Overnight, it was 28. Yesterday morning when I woke up, it was 17 degrees. So it's really not beach weather. But when you might have to drive, this one's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Earlier in, uh, in in our podcast series, this is, ep- this is actually episode 15, by the way. Wow. Jesus. Um, I'd mentioned that I watched this show. On Netflix, it's called The Kaminsky Method. It features yes. Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin as two old dudes and, you know, just old dudes living life. And I, I really like the show. I think it's really funny. But Michael Douglas's drink of choice is a bourbon and Dr. Pepper. Yeah. And I had had that before. I, I basically had, I, I got this like big jug of what I called mixing bourbon, you know, something that you wouldn't necessarily drink on its own. But you throw some soda in it, and it's it's fine. Like you know, it does the trick. But I ran out of that mixing bourbon, and so uh, I, I had some Diet Dr Pepper, and I'd bought some. Um, <clears throat> I'd bought some recently. I'd bought some uh, Redemption bourbon, and so I threw that together to make another Kaminsky method, is what I call it. <laughs> so uh, so that's what I'm drinking tonight. Diet Diet Dr Pepper, though he he went full Dr Pepper. I go Diet Dr Pepper. Oh yeah. Oh, last night I you know during the Rams game, so Rams Bears Monday Night Football. Usually the second half nerves are shot. I'll go something strong, kind of take the edge off. Um, 
didn't need to last night. Rams played really well. And so the second half of the game last night, I, you know, I had a beer in the first half and then the second half, I usually pick out something strong. I ended up going with the wild Turkey one Oh one, uh, just an ounce and a half splash is what you call it, I guess, uh, in a Zevia cream soda. And that actually hit the spot. That was nice and smooth. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't have any, uh, any, uh, caffeine free colas at that time. But I did have the Dr. Zevia, which is the, you know, it's similar to the, to the Dr. Pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want the caffeine. So I went with the cream soda and I was pleasantly surprised. So that was pretty good. Awesome. Okay. So last time we, we actually ran out of time. We had pro- we were going to talk about some free agents, but I wanted to quickly talk about them uh, here. Uh, we looked at uh, certain guys who we know uh, are, are possibly uh, valuable to the team. Um, we have uh, we have Gossman and Smiley who are up, who both pitched well at the end of the season. Uh, we have Tony Watson who makes, actually makes more than Drew Smiley. You know, he's more of a one-inning guy these days, but he was their best reliever uh, at the by the end of the year. And then you have Trevor Cahill as well. Uh, who is a free agent? He was a little bit more uh, up and down, I think, but he had he had a couple of good starts in there. Uh, and then we have uh, you know Jeff Samarja, who they already were like you know we're good, you know thanks, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see you soon. He didn't even finish out the season as a San Francisco Giant. They DFA'd him, didn't they? Right. Yeah. About yeah. Uh, last weekend of the season. So we wanted to look at those guys and consider who the Giants might be bringing back. And then also you did a poll on our Facebook group, uh, our Thompson to Clark Facebook group, which you can, you can join if you just find us in Facebook. I think our, um, our Thompson to Clark Facebook or Twitter page might actually have that group linked, uh, in, in the pinned, uh, in the pinned tweet. But, uh, you put up a vote and you said, you know, who would you like the Giants to go after? in the off season. And one of the selections was, you know, let's go get Gossman and Smiley. Those two together would probably be the cost of a top free agent. The top free agents that you listed were Trevor Bauer, George Springer, Melanson, who we've had on this team before. Yeah. And uh, Marcel Ozuna. And, uh, and then you said, you know, anybody else, you know, who, who, who would you like? And you said, who would who would you want the Giants to sign? And immediately, because you and I have both talked about this guy, Trevor Bauer, like he's a legit ace. Oh, for sure. Um, he, he's going to be pricey, though. You know, he's going to be twenty million or more. And then after that, I, I'm not sure about those other guys. But the other option is just Gossman and Smiley for for pretty much you know maybe a little bit less, but close to what one of those free agents will uh, will cost so what are your thoughts about that who do you want them to sign if you're thinking like us like as fans we're like ah money's no option we want everybody and then also secondly like how if you were zadie what do you think he's looking at well if money is not an object and it it shouldn't be because we talked about a couple podcasts ago. We, we you know we do have some money off the books now uh, in Samarja um, because this was it. This was the end of his run, anyways. So there's a little bit of money off the books. Um, 
And there will be money coming off the books with Quato in a year or two. And then, uh, you know, you're going to look at uh, money off the books for um, uh, Brandon Crawford. That's going to come off too. Uh, Buster Posey, a couple more years and some money there. So if you backload a contract for somebody like Trevor Bauer, he's, you know, estimated around 21 million a year. If you can get that lower for the first two or three years and then boom, have it shoot up after that, uh, do what you did, get creative with Cueto, um, and do the opt out after two or three years. Um, maybe somebody like Bauer would, would come to San Francisco and, you know, it's it's known always as a pitcher's ballpark. Um, pitchers love that. Uh, they've got a young hitting team uh, and team is starting to put up runs. Um, that That's my number one pick this offseason is Trevor Bauer. We've seen the Giants go after big names. You know, recently they've they've gone after um, Bryce Harper. They've gone after John Lester. They were in, in the pool for that. Uh, for those two guys, Um I I love George Springer. He does not want to go back to Houston. I read an article today. It pretty much made it sound like he's done in Houston. They had their shot. Um, they didn't re-sign him for a long-term deal at the beginning of this year, just kind of a one-term, uh, one year because of arbitration. Um, he's looking at like probably around a 22 million a year. And again, these are just estimates. Trevor Bauer at 21, Springer at 22. They're probably going to get more than that. Um, Gossman and Smiley, uh, 10 million each. They're probably going to get more than that. I, I would assume uh, Gossman probably in the, you know, 14 range, 13 range. Um, Smiley, maybe like 11 or 12 because he was kind of banged up this year too. Didn't really get to get out there and show what he had as much as Gosman did. Um, but yeah, Bauer's top of my list. And I think I would go Springer second. We do have a lot of outfielders, but anytime you have a chance to add a guy like George Springer, you do it. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. So, how do you think Bauer's personality fits with the Giants? Because that's a whole other thing, right? He's yeah. he's an interesting dude. He's not your normal, you know. He's not your, uh, you know. Let's put on the uniform and and be professional. Like I'm not saying he's not professional, but you know, Buster Posey is a specific type of baseball player. Trevor Bauer may not be exactly like Buster Posey. He may be a little bit more you know, fit better on that 2010 team that we're actually right. going to talk about in a little bit. I, you know what? This is not Bruce Bochy's team anymore. This is not the 2010, 12, 14. This is not the Sabian led San Francisco giants. This is not the Evans led San Francisco giants. This is the Kapler and Zaidi San Francisco giants. If you look at the Dodgers and you look at what they're doing and you look at where Zaidi comes from, and you look at the personalities on that team. Yeah, you've got your reserved Kershaws, but you've got your Justin Turners. Um, you know, you've got uh, Bellinger making catches in the outfield and then sprinting around, jumping, going crazy. You've got a lot of emotion on that team. That's kind of where baseball is now. Baseball has become more of an emotional game than it was 10 years ago. More of an emotional game, shoot, than it was four years ago. Um, 
I think you have to get a guy like this. I think if you have a chance to get somebody who expresses himself, I mean, the Giants were going after Bryce Harper. Harper's known to express himself. He gets fired up. He gets in fights in the dugout. He slams his helmet. He waves that beautiful mane of his around. <laughs> I mean, you know, if he's excited, you see it flow. So I think you go out and get a guy like Trevor Bauer. Hell, I'd, I'd, I'd want him to be my number one. I'd want him to show the pitching staff Hey, we're excited. We're out here. We're playing ball, and we want to win. So, yeah, you know, I think he fits. Uh, if the Giants are willing to to take that next step, I think he fits. And you don't have to worry about Bumgarner, right? Like <laughs> Bumgarner's maybe the most reserved, unless he gets to be a little bit of a of a, of a dick on the mound. Like he doesn't mind <laughs> that, but he he, he no one's going to show him up. Like that's his thing, and. You know, since we don't have that, since since we don't have Bumgarner, maybe it is the the you know the clubhouse and and as these guys age out a little bit, maybe maybe that is a little bit more of what they need. But I think it's an interesting fit. I I, I think if he you know as in most markets, if he's good, you sort of are okay with it, and if he sucks, then you do, you don't like it at all. So uh, that's well, probably did- what. The fun thing about Bauer, too, is that he does get fired up. If you show him up, if you hit a home run and you stand there and watch it, he gets fired up. He doesn't say anything to you, though, and he'll just let you around the bases and he'll you know, do his thing. The next time he faces you, he will use that, strike you out, and then he'll strut off the mound. So he uses that, and and, and Bumgarner towards the end there uh, with the Giants – didn't so much use that. He just got pissed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you hit a home run off of him and watched it, he wanted to scream at you around the bases. Then it affected him two or three batters later. And I think yeah. that was that was a problem. So if you don't channel that energy right, it can come back and bite you. Bauer has kind of mastered that, which is fun to watch. All right. So let's talk about... Um the uh, the Ernest Riles trivia thing. I wanted to mention that before I forgot because yeah. I, I knew we we're going to get to the end of the thing and go, <laughs> oh, I didn't. I forgot about the Ernest Riles trivia. Okay, so quickly because we kind of goofed off about that uh, at the yeah. end of the last podcast. So, what is the Ernest Riles trivia? Well, Ernest Riles hit the ten thousandth home run in Giants history. So. That was that was the trivia. I, I kind of um, I, it's not like I don't know the ten thousandth home run. Like what is that? You know, I, I don't know if people really look at that as a as a landmark. But um, I, I I'm trying to figure out what the game was. It was um, a blowout. Yeah, they beat I, the card. They were killing the Cardinals twenty one to two. It happened. Um, oh, let's see. <clears throat> I can't find the actual date, uh, but it but it was a twenty-one to two game, middle of the eighty-eight season, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and it was an upper t- uh, upper deck shot too at Candlestick, which for Ernest Riles, if you've ever seen the guy, I mean, you <laughs> might you might like run by him and he might fall over. He's not. Yeah, a, I mean, he only hit forty-eight home runs in his entire career. <laughs> yeah, he's sixty now. Did you know that? Mm. He just turned 60 at the beginning of this month. If you wanted to feel old, wow. Ernest Riles is 60 years old. <laughs> that is, that is, yeah, that, that does make you feel old. And 
you know, because you had mentioned Ernest on the on the last last episode about being traded for Jeffrey Leonard in the middle of that '88 season. So Riles belts the 10,000th home run after that trade for the Giants, and uh, he would go on to play in the uh, in the World Series as the designated hitter for those first two games in which they lost. You know, imagine, and th- this is. Um, you know, sort of the different now we'll see if Major League Baseball decides that the DH is here to stay. You know, the DH was really uh, to the advantage of the American League when you got to the World Series. Like the Giants had to start <laughs> Ernest Riles <laughs> right. and his 48 career home runs in the World Series as a designated hitter because, you know, they, they don't they don't have one on the bench necessarily because they don't really need one until they get to that World Series. So that that's, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> well, that tells you too. I mean, you know, and that team was a, a decent hitting team and he was a great fill-in guy. He was a great guy off the bench. But yeah, if you've got to start him in the World Series as your DH, kind of in a rough spot. But looking at, because I, mean, I remember when that happened, the 10,000th home run, I think that was only the fourth... I want to say it was like the fourth or fifth club in the history of baseball at that point with 10,000 home runs. So it was kind of a big deal at that time. Now I'm looking and there's 16 teams with more than 10,000 home runs. Um, and, and all 16 of those teams, um, have been around since, uh, you know, at least 1901 and mm-hmm. then going back, uh, the Giants were one of the older teams in the history of baseball, uh, having been around since 1883. They now have, let's see if you can guess. Just give me a kind of a, a, a ballpark figure. Of how many home runs they have now? Yeah, how many they have now? Well, God, Barry was hitting like 50 a year <laughs> for how many years? <laughs> so let's see. So, so 1988. So, eight, so uh, that was uh, 32 years ago. 32, yeah. Um, so it's at least, uh, let's see, it's at least 3,200 because they hit, they would hit about a hundred a year on a bad year. Right. But there were some seasons where they, you know, Bonds would hit 40 something and Kent would hit 30 something. So there's probably a couple of 150 a year seasons there. Uh, I will go, uh, 1,400. Or, I'm sorry, 14,000. 14, You're close. 14,763. So, cl- a little bit closer to 15,000, but very close. You're only 763 off. Wow. That's, well, so, and who, who are the teams ahead of the Giants? So, the, there's only one team ahead of the Giants. Give it to me. It's got to be the Yankees, right? Of course, yes. The Yankees was 16,309. Uh, the Giants are... 20 years older than the Yankees, but the Yankees are, you know, they, they invented the home run pretty much, right. you know, so they've got 16,309 giants are in second with 14,763. And then behind them, the Cubbies with 14,449, even though the Cubs are seven years, um, older than the giants. So giants have had, you know, they've had their illustrious home run hitters, and so that kind of punched them up a little bit. The Cubs, I don't know. They've had they've had some pretty pretty big time home run hitters over the years, but you know, depending on which way the the wind was blowing in that ballpark. So, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they had Sosa, but then the Giants had Bonds. So, uh, I mean, because Barry, what did Barry hit? Probably almost five hundred home runs as a Giant, right? Yeah, 
Maybe. Yeah, I believe so. Um, yeah, I'd say, yeah, there's probably a good 200 there with the Pirates. So, yeah, that's about right. Uh, okay, so we are now going to focus on the 2010 World Series. And the reason is because, as of this recording, it is 10 years since Game 1 of that 2000, 2010 World Series where the Giants faced off uh, against the Rangers, Cliff Lee on the mound against Tim Lincecum. And Andrew Baggerly from The Athletic wrote a pretty cool article about like some of the goofy things. he. I think he wrote the book on, uh, on that 2010 team, which I probably still have somewhere. It's yeah. a really good book. I think I have that on my Kindle, A Band of Misfits. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Re- really good book. And so he, you know, on the 10th anniversary of, of the beginning of this World Series, he had put together a post on The Athletic, and he said, here are like the crazy things that had to happen for the Giants to become the champions. And, you know, historically, you know, since they had been in San Francisco, they, they'd been to the World Series uh, in 1989 and lost, and they went in 2002 and uh, broke our hearts. And then finally in 2010... They win it all, and it's the first title in the in the history of the, of, the, of the team going back to New York since 1954. Also, they'd lost in 61. I can't forget 61. And so here are the 10 things that had to happen in order for the Giants to win the World Series. You forget Benji Molina was the starting catcher in 2010. On I think it was on my birthday, May 28th, they bring up Buster Posey. But in order to bring up Buster Posey, they had to trade Molina. Who do they trade him to? The Rangers, who they go ahead and face in the World Series. Crazy thing number one. Crazy thing number two. The Rays, who 10 years later are in the World Series themselves, release Pat Burrell and owe him so much money. And yet they're just like, eh, we're going to pay you. Just go away (laughs) from our team. And the Bay Area kid who, you know, who went to school at Bellarmine, he is on, you know, he, he is a big part of this Giants team, uh, which goes to the World Series. Let's, let's not forget what he, what he hit in, uh, in Tampa Bay that year real quick. 202 with uh, two home runs, 13 ribs. He had an OPS of 625 in 24 games with Tampa Bay. 33 yeah. years old. Maybe not a big fan of uh, Joe Madden's, you know, kind of, culture tactics that he would do for for that team but uh they i mean they, they i think they cut him and they owed him like eight million dollars or something like that yeah it was huge and the giants were like "Ooh, all right we'll take him all right the year before he hit 20 home runs or, or yeah. 14 home runs so you know okay so the giants also were the benefit of basically the San Diego Padres just kind of failing down the stretch. Um, you know, the Giants did catch them by going 18 and 8, fa- caught the Padres by going 18 and 8 in September. And the Padres themselves, who were in the driver's seat, they go 12 and 16 down the stretch. And by the time the last, uh, the, the last series of the year, the Padres come into San Francisco and. Basically, the Giants just need to win one game. If the Padres sweep, 
it goes to like some playoff, some crazy playoff, and then the Giants did win on the Sunday. I think I mentioned one of the podcasts that I was at that Saturday game and watched Barry Zito just walk everybody in in like the biggest game of our lives. He's just yeah. walking dudes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Zito. Uh, another crazy thing, Jonathan Sanchez swings through a take sign in that last game against the Padres. And not not a really good hitting pitcher, but I think he had a triple, right? Like to to drive in a run or two. Uh, but he 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 actually had the take sign. Career one fifteen hitter doesn't see the take sign. Swings through, hits a triple. Um, I think I think maybe uh, he scored the run. He may have not has, have scored anybody, but you know, John J- Johnson Sanchez. We're going to talk about him because he has this weird end uh, of of the you know when he get to the NLCS, you get to the World Series. Like he actually does really well by winning that game to clinch has a really good game against Atlanta. And then he kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. He's like, gets in Just a fight, implodes. gets in a fight against Philadelphia. hits chase Utley in the back and gets pissed off at him. <laughs> um, okay. So a couple other things. This isn't that crazy. I think Baggerly was kind of, uh, he, he, he was looking for 10 things, but he needed 10. Yeah. Dick Tidrow drafts Linscombe and Bumgarner. Not too crazy because they were both studs. Dick Tidrow should get the credit for drafting them, but. And the Giants were bad leading up to that. So they're drafting good players. I mean, yeah. So um, the other thing is uh, instant replay hadn't existed yet. There's a, there's a moment in, um, I don't remember what game it was, but it may have been. Um, let me see what this is. Uh, there was, oh, I, I know what it was. So Buster Posey should have got thrown out stealing. And I think this is in, in, in the Braves game that Linscombe wins one to nothing, but had Buster Posey, he was rightfully out, but they called him safe because instant replay didn't exist. And the Giants win a one to zero game. Yeah. Well, uh, Martin, uh, Martin Prado gets hurt. So he can't play in that series against the Braves. Oh, and who has to play because of Prado, which is none other than, I will call him the great, the great Brooks Conrad. Our, our hero. He was the best. <laughs> love that guy. Oh, he, lo- he, looked, he looked like he had never fielded a baseball in his life, and he's out there playing second base. Any other team playing against them and I would have felt bad for the guy, but I was living it up, man. I oh, yeah. would take any break we could take at that point. So so Cody Ross gets put on waivers by the Marlins. The Giants were trailing the Padres by six games at that time. And the only reason they put the claim on Cody Ross was to keep him away from San Diego. So rather than pull Ross back, the Marlins decided like, okay, you, you claim him. Let, let, let's figure out how to do this. So giants have to have to sign him. And, uh, and the Marlins, you know, save the 1 million. Cause they're, they're opening up a spot for Cameron Mabin. Who's their you know prospect at the time. So, you know, it's just a really lucky thing because the giants had uh, Jose Guillen, who uh, who they had just gotten off of the waivers a couple of weeks ago, and then Guillen has like this really weird thing with like a steroid delivery at his house, <laughs> right. and like he supposedly had like a messed up neck, 
But so he doesn't even make the postseason roster because he's got like this messed up neck. And then it turns out during the World Series, it was announced that he got popped by the FBI for like some steroid things, which is <laughs> so weird because it was like off the wall and sort of underreported and like a little bit of an aftermath because of the World Series. But yeah, so we have Cody Ross instead of, you know, Jose Guillen. Uh, and, and Cody Ross, just a, a gigantic hero in the postseason. Ross's boss. Uh, and then um, thanks to the, the All-Star game, which uh, the Dodgers, a couple of Dodgers helped help the NL win the All-Star game. The NL hadn't won the All-Star game uh, very often. Uh, and thankfully, the Giants got home field advantage because... The you know in this with this goofy rule where the winner of the All Star game in a game that absolutely doesn't matter, the the league got the home field advantage that that had won, and so the that Giants got weird, the home field advantage. That was a weird thing they did, man. Yes, yeah, it's so. Weird. I don't quite understand that whole thing. Let's but. make the All Star game worth something. Yeah, I think. Come uh, on, man. Budrick James Selig was trying to figure figure out some fun things to do. Hey, let's let's do some fun things. And then we got, you know, we got Manfred now who's like, well, we're going to throw in a DH and uh, 85 playoff team. So maybe we want Selig back. I don't know. I yeah, think. yeah. I, I'm not I'm not convinced uh, Manfred likes baseball. I yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he, likes the la- mo- he likes money. <laughs> exactly. And the last thing on, on Baggerly's list is uh Edgar Renteria, World Series hero, plays with a blown-out bicep tendon through the playoffs. He he'd hurt his arm, and I, I think they were sort of figuring out what to do with him. And all of a sudden, his arm starts feeling better. And Pablo, who was you know in two thousand and nine, so the year before, it looks like he's like the next coming of of you know a really good offensive player. He comes in way overweight. He's playing terrible defense and he's not hitting anymore. So Renteria is actually playing a lot, starts at shortstop. They move Uribe, Juan Uribe to third base. And, you know, that's kind of how they play uh, a lot of the playoffs there. Edgar Renteria had been in, I think he'd been in the playoffs something like seven times out of 14 years before getting to the Giants or maybe maybe including that that game. So you look at someone like him and you're like, you know, at that point, he's a, he's a vet. He's not really doing much, but he did have that, um, you know, that that playoff savviness. He had he had been in a, in a World Series where he gets the game winning hit. And uh, and so you know he he wasn't he wasn't going to be overwhelmed by this moment. So that is, but that is another weird thing that you know he just had a jacked up bicep and all of a sudden you know I don't even think he had surgery on it and it just it just got better. They they uh, they did some um, some like really hardcore uh, therapy on it uh, and massage where I think they kind of like moved the tendon or something. It was some weird hmm. thing and. You know, he he goes and and hits the the jack and doesn't only hit the jack in game five, but he also hits a jack in game two. Uh, so you know, he hits two home runs in that World Series. 
I always forget about that. I forget about that injury. Um, <clears throat> it's funny you brought that up because, yeah, that that's one of those things when you're watching like the World Series highlights and you're watching everything. They never talk about that. But mm-hmm. I do, you know, I do vaguely remember uh, that issue because can you imagine, too? I mean, Pablo was in the doghouse big time with Bochy. Oh, yeah. Point. Oh, yeah. Um, so having Pablo at third and Uribe at shortstop, how different would things have been? I mean, that's crazy right there. Just that one thing could have changed the whole course of the playoffs and and the postseason for the Giants. Okay, so Game 5, the anniversary of Game 5 is actually this uh, next Sunday, so uh, November the 1st. I think we're going to record again on November the 2nd, so we'll exclusively leave time to talk about the 10th anniversary of Game 5, the first San Francisco World Series championship. Uh, but I, I quickly kind of want to go through games one through four. You and I are both like watching stuff and trying, you know, <laughs> going back. And uh, I, I had I an old man memory, man. I got to I got to jog it. <laughs> I, I'd written, uh, you know, these pieces. I'd mentioned that before. I, I'd written these gamers on uh, all, all the all the games that they, you know, for for the last three titles. And so I just kind of refreshed my memory about that stuff. And. Man, you know, I was so defensive. I, I was so frustrated about all the love that Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay were getting. And you could just sense it in my writing. I'm like, you know, <laughs> Lincecum is the guy. Like, yeah, what is to, this to national with those guys? What is this national narrative about Roy Halladay? Like, Lincecum kicked his ass two times in the NLCS. <laughs> right. And so they have this, you know, the game one of the World Series and the, the infamous uh, Lincecum brain fart. Where he's got runners on first and third and one out and, you know, comebacker. And I don't remember the runner who's on third, but he jumps off. And so they have the opportunity to get him in the pickle. And I think Lincecum believes that there's actually two runners on third. So he's just going to run into one and tag one of the guys out. But it like there was not like it. (laughs) There was a runner on first. Right. And so it loaded the bases. And like you look at him, they're already down one zero. And you look at him and he's just like, oh, my God, I feel so embarrassed. Well, and I watched it again today and, and I'm sitting there and 10 years later, I'm, I'm the, throw the damn ball. <laughs> I mean, just, just throw the ball and you get him out. And, and there's there's Renteria and Uribe standing on third, both of them going, the hell are you doing, man? We're the, <laughs> they're looking at each other like, what is going on out here? And then Lincecum turns around looks at the ball and just walks back to the mound. Cause at that point he realizes what just happened. <laughs> and we're thinking, I remember you and I talking to each other at that point too, going, is this, is this game, is this world series too big for him? Yeah, no, I mean, that was, that was the thing. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, the people will always go back to, I'm trying to remember the year that he started the world series. It was po- it was probably either uh, 08 or 09 and he didn't look good. I mean, I'm sorry, the all-star game, he didn't look good in that all-star game. And so there was a little bit of wondering, you know, when, when he gets a little flustered. But then against Atlanta, he came out, lights out, strikes out 14 in the complete game in the, in the um, divisional series. And like I said, he beats Halliday twice. And so you're coming to this point, you're like, okay, now it's, it's let's come against Cliff Lee. But they both pitch badly. Cliff Lee doesn't even finish the fifth inning, gives up six earned runs on eight hits. Uh, Lincecum gives up four runs. 
in five and two third. So neither ace, you know, the, the you know that was kind of it was built up as like this battle of the aces. They both kind of get beat up a little bit. You know what's funny is so the year before when Lee gets traded uh, to the Phillies, I think he got traded to the Phillies uh in 09 i believe that's when it was but i had taken the kids to uh we we would do this thing where you know i'd take a couple days off from work and we'd hang out on the peninsula and you know get a hotel for a few days and then we'd go by like three or four games in a row and just go to the park like every night and so uh, i remember cliff lee when he got traded to philadelphia we we watched uh, the game against philadelphia it was a night game and he smoked the Giants like he like he was unhittable yeah. that night. And uh, you remember the great Ryan Sadowski? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I do. Cliff Lee comes inches away from taking Sadowski out of the park, like hits dead center, just boom, hits the fence. And so then in this game, he he almost takes Linc- Lincecum deep, like he hits a double against Lincecum. So I was just like, oh no, this is Cliff Lee. I saw him last year do this to the Giants, but they beat him. And um, uh, th- this is what I wrote because uh, uh, so so the games the the Giants just basically uh, they they just I don't remember the inning but they uh, they just uh, you know put the lead out of control. Juan Uribe hits a home run off of uh, Darren O'Day. It's a three run jack to put the Giants up eight two. And I said Juan Uribe faced Darren O'Day and took him O deep. <laughs> For a three-run jack, and the Giants went up eight-two. They would win eleven to seven, but you know that wasn't that that wasn't the classic game that we were used to them. You know, in the playoffs, because uh, just the pitching. You know, it, Lindscom had given up some runs there, so that was a weird. It was like a, a weird, super weird game one, and it's kind of like the fact that the Giants won that game. You kind of come out of that game going like, huh. Like that's not really the game that we no. win. And did we get lucky? Like what's what's the story with that? Yeah, and 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 watching that game too. I remember when the game was over, I was like, "Oh my god, you know, cuz then Texas started kind of chunking back a little bit here and there and made it an 11 to 7 game. At no point though was it ever, uh, you know, was the game in doubt uh once the Giants took that huge lead. But then after that, I'm thinking, well the the Giants can't play that game Every game of this yeah. series, that's not... I mean, if Texas is going to score seven runs, we're kind of in trouble. So you felt good. You had a one nothing lead, and then you're like, "What?" Well, but that was Lincecum, and we, you know, we won 11-7, to so where do we go from here? So going into game two, total mystery. No idea what to expect. And so game two, C.J. Wilson for the Rangers, thrown well. Nix's finger has a blister and they got to pull him out. And the second they pull him out, the bullpen just collapses. And the Giants win this 9-0 game, which was 2-0 in the seventh inning when Wilson has to come out. So if C.J. Wilson doesn't, you know, nick his finger, this it's a close game. But Kane goes seven and two-thirds. Javier Lopez and Guillermo Mota finish out the game. But the Giants score nine runs, and they kind of uh, piled it on there a little bit. You know, the, they were up one zero thanks to uh, one Babe Renteria. That's the game that I was talking about. And then they score seven in the eighth to blow it open after C.J. Wilson was uh, pitching a pretty good game. And I, I you know, remember. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go for it. 
No, I just remember sitting in there watching. That was the Walk Fest game, right? That was the the Rangers pitching staff. Uh, yeah, Derek Dutch Holland. Holland. Yeah, Dutch Holland out there, and 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 Mark didn't Lowe. get it out. Walk three dudes. No, no, out. And then and then Mark Lowe comes in and walks another one. Yep. Um. And and I remember sitting there watching that, and and my my wife sitting next to me, and she goes. Oh, I feel ba- so bad for him. He can't. <laughs> he can't throw strikes, and and the Giants are just going. I said you would. I said you're wearing a giant shirt and a Giants hat, and I said I've got an orange beard. I've, <laughs> I spray painted my beard orange, and we're sitting. My, I said, "Why are you feeling bad for this guy?" <laughs> I said, "We haven't won a World World Series since uh, 1954." I said, D- "Don't feel bad for anybody. <laughs> you yeah, know, let's exactly. get this." <laughs> exactly. I feel great. <laughs> I said, "I feel fantastic. Keep walking him. I don't care." I hope Derek Holland has nightmares and comes back in game four and walks another three guys. <laughs> right. I hope he's never the same in this series. <laughs> uh, okay, so game three, which is the game that the Rangers win. They actually come back to San Francisco and they win a game against, uh, you know, I mentioned, you know, we had good Jonathan Sanchez to close out the, the you know, the, the pennant uh, or, or win the division and then in, it beats Atlanta. But then we had bad Jonathan Sanchez in really Philadelphia, they, in Philadelphia, then bad Jonathan Sanchez again, four and two thirds innings, six hits, four runs, three walks. Uh, and that 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 was it, though. You know, the bullpen pitched really well. But Colby Lewis, who had pitched previous, yeah, he was a he was a pretty decent prospect uh, with the Rangers. And then he pitched for the A's and he goes to Japan and he comes back. And this was like his moment pitched really well. Uh, six strikeouts, seven and two thirds innings, only gave up five hits, and the Giants go ahead and lose this game. Uh, the only game that they would lose in the whole series, Cody Ross does hit a home run, and uh, and uh, but that was really the uh, the lone bright spot for the Giants. They they would actually not score until the seventh and the eighth inning, so only give up only get five hits for the entire game. No, I, I'm I messed up. This is actually in. Arlington. The yeah, Giants and, had yeah. the first two games in San Francisco. So this is actually back in Arlington, and this is where the Rangers get their first game. And an absolute must win for them. And, it, and Colby Lewis, too. This was the last game he would pitch in the playoffs uh, in 2010 for the Rangers. He went 3-0 and in the playoffs with a 1.71 ERA. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't just awesome. mowing down the Giants. And I think I figured out uh, watching the film today uh, of that game three, I think I figure out what happened. Nolan Ryan threw out the first pitch, and I and I think I saw him take his arm off and put it on <laughs> put it on Colby Lewis, and I think that's what happened. Yeah, that, no, that's that, why we lost even in game. 2010, Nolan could probably still throw like 87 <laughs> miles an hour. His first pitch looked good. Yeah. Okay, so we get to game four. 21 year old Madison Bumgarner starting against Tommy Hunter for the Rangers. Pretty big moment for the guy. Um, I have a couple of little stats that I that I grabbed. So only Bullet Joe Bush, Jim Palmer, and Fernando Valenzuela were pitchers younger than Bumgarner who won a World Series game. Only Palmer threw as many as eight shutout innings like Bumgarner did. He shut out the Dodgers in game two of the 66 World Series. No rookie starting pitcher, younger than Bumgarner, had ever thrown six or more shutout innings in a World Series game. And Bumgarner goes eight, gives up three hits, 
two walks, six strikeouts to uh, to win for the Giants. Uh, um, the Giants pick up uh, they pick up two in the third, and then they picked up one in the seventh, one in the eighth. Brian Wilson comes in, shut it down. Rangers only get three hits all game long, and this puts the Giants within one game of winning the World Series. And we will get to Game Five so that I can really just like talk about my love of Tim Lincecum uh, the next the next show that we do. That one was wild. And then this Game Four, <clears throat> I remember it. So it was on Halloween, uh, two thousand ten, and I don't know if you remember too. The one thing that kind of irked me, and I, I don't know if we talked about it at the time, but on the scoreboard in Arlington. They had, you know, Texas as the home team. And up top, they had San Fran. <laughs> and, and you know, as a Bay Area native, San Fran will drive people insane. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if they did that on purpose. They couldn't put Frisco because that's another one that drives people crazy. Because Frisco, there's a Frisco, Texas that's near Arlington. So I don't think they wanted to do that. So they put San Fran up there. So that was on the scoreboard for all three of those games. But um, yeah, yeah, Halloween night. So the kids, my, my girls at that time were four and two. Um the one, the one had just the youngest had just turned two, so of course you you got to go out trick or treating. Oh yeah, no, there's no missing that. So like a good Giants fan and a good dad, we went out trick or treating. Uh, had the earpiece in. Uh, I don't, I don't think I had a phone at that time. Probably not. So I was probably walking around with like, uh, I think I had one of those Sansa, uh, sand disc players mm-hmm. that had a, um, uh, AM radio on it. So I was walking around listening to that, then got home, uh, just in time to watch, um, Huff hit that, that three run shot in game four. Uh, so I hadn't missed much. I, fir- I think I missed the first like couple of innings, but, and the Rangers were, were, they, they had. Uh, had caused a 5.50 ERA against lefties in the playoffs before Bumgarner just completely shut them down. So that was another one of those games going into it. We're sitting there going, oh man, okay, we got this rook on the mound. We've got a 2-1 lead. Uh, Are are we going to get tied up here? Is this going to get ugly? But uh, no, it was fantastic. I mean, just awesome performance. And I think that's kind of where the legend of Bum started. Oh yeah. All right, so the last thing on our list of things to do, and here's here's the setup for next week, right? Game five, Lincecum, Lee for the World Series. I, I don't think I have to set that up any any better. I, I'm, I actually watched a couple a couple of innings of that game today. I'll I'll watch the rest of it before we do our next show. Yeah, sure. I, I watched my um, my 2010 World Series Blu-ray with. Uh, Rob Schneider from Saturday Night Live. Uh, he was the the narrator on it because he is a huge Giants fan. He's from the Pacifica area, uh, just outside of San Francisco. I used to actually hang out there. I had a friend who lived out there. Uh, cool little town. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I watched that and so just got the highlights. But I am definitely going to watch the entire Game Five because I I, I want to relive that. I haven't. I don't think I've watched the entire Game Five since the actual Game Five. So yeah. All right, so quickly before we get out of here, we do have our greatest Giants, uh, San Francisco Giants team of all time, which is uh, played through out of the park baseball. And I think this is the last matchup of the second round. Is that true? 
It is. Yes, this is the to decide the last team to hop into the final four. Uh, in one bracket of the final four, we have the nine seed 2003 uh, Giants against the 13 seed 1965-95 win team. And in the other bracket, the waiting for the winner of this one, the two seed 2010 World Series champs, that's the highest seed left. Um, and this series that we just played was the 1997 NLDS losers against the 1966-93 win team. Um, it, it was a really kind of a tough matchup. I thought the 97 team was going to win this one, uh, but the 66 team jumped out to a one game to nothing lead with a three to one win. Um, it was kind of, I think that was a pitcher's duel very late into the game. Uh, Roberto Hernandez kind of gave it up. Uh, JT Snow with a home run in that one. And if you remember 97, I don't think JT Snow was hitting many home runs at that point in his career. If I'm, I may be wrong, but I don't, I could look it up real quick. I'll look it up. Go ahead. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember him being much of a power guy at that point in his career. Um, then we get to game two, 97 pulls back, uh, ties it up one, one, they win that game nine to six. Uh, that one, just tons of home runs. The 66 team, uh, it, this one was back and forth. This is the one I think I was texting you where, um, I believe, yes, McCovey in the top of the ninth hit a three run shot to tie it up. They were down six to three. He ties it up six, six, and then, uh, they get a couple more runners on, but can't push anybody else across. Then they get to the bottom of the ninth and you go, I think it was walk single and then bonds is up and three run Jack and they went at nine to six. So I thought, okay, they're just going to 97 is now going to just overpower 66. But then 66 goes on to win the next two games and takes a, uh, a 3-1 lead, 5-2 um, win, and then another close 6-5 win. Um, these turn out to be a lot of bullpen games. Um, Bolin, the pitcher, starting pitcher for the 66 Giants, he's the only, only uh, starter to get a win in their first four games. Um, guys were getting knocked around early and often. Uh, then we get to game five and, uh, 1997 pulls off a win to bring it back to three games to two. They're down three games to two. They get a five to one win. Willie Mays with another home run. The great Stan Javier with mm. the second home run of the, of the series. The Ur- Bill uh, Miller. The, the, the Ernest Riles of his day. Absolutely. And, and Bill Miller, uh, I don't know if you... I don't know if many Giants fans remember him, but God, he was a he was a great Giant in the late '90s. Um, real kind of just a a, a heads up ball player, uh, three hundred hitter would always get knocks when you needed it. Um, he didn't a, he didn't actually replace Matt Williams after Matt got traded, but he was like the right. the guy who kind of finally settled in at third base. He, he did and. And then I believe it was Edgardo Alfonso after that, right? Mm-hmm. Early, 2000s. Early 2000s. So we had a good run of third baseman in there. I can't remember. I mean, it tells you we we probably had a really hard time replacing Matt Williams. Was Charlie Hayes one of our guys that, that tried to f- replace him, I think? <sighs> so Hayes had been up with the Giants like in the 
in the eighties, but then he like he he went somewhere. Did did they bring him back? I yeah. feel like he went to the Rockies or something. He went to the Rockies, I believe. He went to the Yankees, and then I think he came back. Um, and they tried to you know kind of plug him back into third. But at that point, he wasn't the same ball player. Uh, so Hay- Hayes uh, Hayes is with the Giants in 89 then he's with the phillies for three years goes to the yankees uh colorado so the yankees must have left him off their 40 man so he goes to colorado for two years uh actually hits uh, leads the league in doubles in 1993 good for you charlie hayes goes back to the phillies and then he does play for the giants 98 and 99 in 98 he has a pretty darn good season for the Giants. Yeah. 12 jacks, 62 RBIs, it's 286. So yeah, good good memory on that one. I would I forgot about that one. Yeah, I remember cuz I remember in the late 80s I thought, "Well, this guy's going to, you know, they can plug him in. He's going to be a good ball player for the for the Giants going forward." Uh they had him, they had Matt Williams, so they decided to probably move Charlie Hayes at that point. Uh, and just kind of hang on to Williams. And then Williams was around to what, 96, 97? Yeah, I think they traded him in 97. Yeah, 97. So then that's when you get Bill Miller. Uh, then Charlie Hayes comes back. Um, so yeah, so uh, Bill Miller, one of those guys that I just always wanted him to be a giant for a long time. It just By the way, you you had a great memory on Charlie Hayes. Yes. Not as great on JT Snow because in 1997, no. he hit his career high in home runs with 28. Oh, 28. Yeah. All right. So it was tailing off. You know what I'm getting confused with? He started kind of tailing off towards the 2002 World Series. That's when the home run started. Because we did get him. What year did we get him? 97? So he is on the Giants in 1997. Hits 28 jacks, then goes 15 jacks, 24 jacks, 19 jacks. And by 2001... He goes eight home runs, six home runs, eight home runs. He gets back in double digits by 2004, but really was not a power hitter after no. the year 2000. Well, and then wasn't he? He was also platooning with Andres Galarraga um, at one point as well uh, because he had a hard time hitting lefties from what I remember. Yeah, and he stopped switch hitting, right? Right, yeah, that that's what it was. He stopped switch hitting, couldn't hit the lefties. Um from either side of the plate. So I think he just went ahead and stopped switch hitting, but JT snow, another great giant. So then he, so we get to game six, uh, 1966 is up three, two. Uh, then they go on and win this game seven to six, another nail biter. Willie Mays with a home run bonds with another home run. JT snow is third of the series. Uh, snow could have gotten the MVP had they been able to come back and win it. Uh, bonds in this series at 273. We always look to bonds. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of our barometer to how each team has done in this series. He hit 273, two home runs, four ribs. Uh, the MVP of this series was Hallinier. Another, that's his, uh, his second MVP in, in a series in this tournament, his first one was for the 1965 team in the series that we had just played before. In this series, he hit 409 with a home run and three RBI. Um, and Willie Mays in this series, three home runs, eight ribs, but he only hit 240, but his OPS was, uh, oh gosh, he was up uh, over 1,000, right? 
Uh, my math is terrible. No, 900 and uh, something. Yeah, like <laughs> nine, 950, 945 or something like that. There you go, 945. So so his OPS was great. He was crushing the ball, uh, driving in runs when he needed to, Willie McCovey with that big hit. McCovey doesn't hit well in this game, and I don't know if it's just because of pitching matchups, but he only hit 214 in this series. But he did have that key home run that almost um, – clawed back in that would have been a, a more of a blowout series but the 66 team wins uh, four games to two they move on they will face the 2010 team in the next series which we will play this week uh and then we will have the results of 2010 versus 1966 next week and we could potentially have two 1960s teams uh, just one year apart, playing each other in the final. That would be really be interesting. I mean, that would, funny to see kind of how how that one plays out. You know, Hal Lanier hitting ground balls to Hal Lanier, Willie exactly. Mays flying out to <laughs> Willie Mays. <laughs> yeah, you know, we started this thing. I think it was on like episode two. We started the the series, and uh, we only got three more matchups left. So three weeks left until we're done, and we got to figure out a new gimmick. Yeah, I, I will, we can get another tournament. I love tournaments, so we'll, we'll come up. Maybe we'll put a little thing on Facebook, too, a, a poll. Maybe we'll see what kind of a tournament people want to see out of this. Because we can even, you know, create our own best of teams, uh, best of giants from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. That would be cool. Yeah, that would be, be cool. kind of fun. And then play, place those teams against each other. So, yeah. All right, so um, that is going to be it from here. And uh, well, like I said, we've already kind of previewed next week. We'll wrap up the Dodgers and the Rays. Hoping, crossing my fingers, this gets to a Game 7 and a Rays victory. But uh, we'll have that. We'll talk about the um, the 2010, the anniversary of the Giants winning the World Series. And uh, yeah, we'll figure out what else we want to talk about. I'm sure you know there will be some some news coming out that we could latch on to. But otherwise, uh, we will be back next week. So for Brad, I'm Double G. See when you see you. Peace out. Peace.